0: Connecticut Democrats, or connecticut as they have never been called. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of connecticut the CT Dems podcast. I'm your co-host, Mike Cerulli.
1: And I'm David Kostak with the Connecticut Democratic Party.
0: So we're counting down the days till election day. It's definitely crunch time. It's October. Uh, It it is our playoff season, if you will, coincides with with baseball playoffs. So, uh, Dave... I don't know. Can you feel the energy in the air right now when you're out at events? I do. It's it's a different energy than it was
1: in other cycles, though, isn't it? Maybe it has something to do with redistricting. I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with the absence of a certain giant orange presence from Florida. I don't know. <laughs> it is. There, it something feels a little different to me.
0: I yeah. I, I would I would second that thought. So um, one thing that's not different is. We have competitive races here in Connecticut, like we always have. People like to sort of write us off sometimes and say, oh, it'll be easy, it'll be easy. But people forget, you know, we 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 still have to get out there and and make a case. And and one person who's doing that is the guest I had on this week, our congresswoman from the 5th Congressional District, Johanna Hayes. Um, She's in a pretty competitive race. Uh, We talk a lot about that in our conversation. We talk a lot about um, sort of the dynamics going on there. There's national money being spent, but she's very focused Still on the issues that affect the district. Um, and I would note that unlike her opponent, you know, who went on Tucker Carlson, I think last night, you know, Johanna's still talking to us here in Connecticut. So that's 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 always nice to see.
1: Yeah, I did notice on the same day that he went to talk to to Tucker, uh, you know, Putin apologist in chief, Johanna was talking about keeping Sharon Hospital open. So contrast. That's what it's all about.
0: Indeed. So who'd you talk to this week?
1: I talked to the 8th Senate District uh, candidate here in Connecticut. His name is Paul Honig. He has run a couple of times for a state house seat in his uh, native Harwinton. But, uh, you know, with redistricting, he talks about this a little bit. We find that uh, he's now in the open 8th Senate seat and has given it a run. He's a guy with an interesting background and a whole lot of life experience that he's bringing to it, along with a whole lot of miles on his bike. Do you follow him on social?
0: I do not, know, But is he going to join the Jim Himes bike club?
1: yeah you know, probably he's been he's been door knocking by going door to door by by going on his bicycle. And so a lot of his social media posts, you know indicate that. but anyway, uh, that's where we start off with the conversation and and we talk about uh, green energy and we talk about the the voting reforms, gun safety, and a whole lot of other issues.
0: And we'll throw it over now to my conversation with Congresswoman Johanna Hayes of the Fifth Congressional District. <music> Folks, we're so excited to welcome back to the podcast, the Congresswoman for the 5th Congressional District, Johanna Hayes. Congresswoman, welcome back to the show.
2: Thanks so much for having me. Great to see you.
0: It's great to see you as well. Um, I want to just start and get your sort of immediate reactions to the tragedy we saw yesterday in Bristol, um, both as a leader in our state, but also as someone who comes from a law enforcement family. If you could just talk for a bit about uh, your reactions and responses to that.
2: It Yesterday was awful. Yes. awful. It was an, it, just an awful day. I woke up to my husband literally standing in front of the TV, glued to the screen, just saying, oh, my God. And I sat up in bed. I, You know, what happened? What's going on? And I saw the banner on the bottom of the screen. And it was gut-wrenching because you think about just – the officers, their families, their colleagues who now have to investigate this crime and really do their due diligence while they're also grieving, the community. uh, It it is something that is just so deeply personal. Um, My husband was 25 years on, on the police force and is still in law enforcement. So, you know, you're thinking, is this someone we know? Is this someone that we've interacted with? But even if it's not, you have this, just a connection because I mean, I, I've, I can remember years where my husband was investigating a major crime and I couldn't reach him by phone and you immediately, immediately go into a panic mode. Mm-hmm. So, um, I am just, uh, just gutted, torn apart by the fact that uh, I, I don't think we've ever seen anything like it. Multiple officers on the scene Mm
0: -hmm. in
2: Connecticut. Um, So it was just an awful day for our state. Yeah, just
0: a horrible, horrible situation. Our thoughts are with the officers' families and with the whole community. So um, you touched there a bit about, you know, talking about your husband, 25-year police veteran. Uh, You also have been in public service as a teacher and now in Congress. I wonder if I could ask you, that background coming from a law enforcement family, then you, you yourself being a teacher in, you know, in a different form of public service and then going to Congress in a, in a third form of public service. How has that background informed uh, your work in Congress? Because I think you really are unique uh, among representatives uh, coming from the educational background. And I think probably another minority in terms of like having law enforcement in the family as well.
2: I think everything about my life uh is a contributing factor to the way that i legislate especially with all of the issues that we're dealing with i have just a different level of understanding and appreciation for many of the things that we're talking about uh high quality education and some of the the barriers to access some of the challenges the physical challenges in our school i know about that just intimately having been a single mom for many years having lived in public housing having worked multiple jobs in this district and just being deeply invested and engaged on on all levels in the community i think most of the time you have people who come to these roles and they say you know i sat on a board or i was a board member i was actually i would have been one of those people in the audience you know i would have been one of the people during the public comment section right, right. and we generally don't have the people from that group at the table so all of these things, you know, I, it's one of the reasons I support school resource officers, because mm-hmm. I worked in a school, I know how critical they are, I know how valuable and useful they can be. And I've had the opportunity to interact with some amazing resource officers. So I know that it's a program that we really should invest in, and mm-hmm. try to make work as opposed to abandoning it. Abandoning it. So mm-hmm. everything about my life is really... Helps me to speak with a different level of confidence and just informed in a different way of how our work impacts people. And also I approach legislation as I ask the questions that I wished someone was asking for me when right. I was in those situations, when mm-hmm. I was on the receiving end of aid. I want I was. I'm fighting the way I imagined and I prayed that someone was fighting for me. So just asking different questions, bringing a very different perspective, I think is important.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And just for those listeners who maybe, uh, unlike you who was a teacher and me who just recently graduated public schools a few years ago, those school resource officers, these are the police officers who are in, it's sort of a community policing program, uh, typically in the schools, obviously in some cases there to provide like security, but then in many cases, as you know, as I know, you know, also there to work with uh, the students and the staff. So that's a great, a great program. And um, I you know, think I'm, that's yeah. important
2: because for me, I saw school, our school resource officers who are, who are our police in the schools, mm-hmm. just build relationships, non-threatening relationships with students have conversations and they begin to engage with each other as human beings, not mm-hmm. in a high pressure situation where something has gone wrong and you're calling the police. Right, And that just laid the foundation for when something did go wrong, uh, The officer could come and just have a one-on-one conversation or, uh, you know, de-escalate a situation or or understand that this kid is going through something else. And that's why they may be acting out today, because the relationship had already been established.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, very, very important points there. Um, And I'm sure people have probably maybe asked you this sort of tongue in cheek question, but managing a classroom being in Congress. Is there any, is there any overlap there in terms of uh, dealing with children and dealing with members of Congress and lobbyists down in DC?
2: Children are so much better. They're so (laughs) much more malleable. They're so much more forgiving and they have not been taught to hate. Mm -hmm. They deal with people as individuals. They, you have a, an opportunity to start all over, you know? And I was very, Insistent on that. If a kid left my class and they had a hard day, mm-hmm. I met them at the door the next day and said, We start fresh today. And generally, we start it fresh. Um, in Congress, people come with these preconceived ideas and notions and stereotypes about who people are, mm-hmm. how people be- behave, what people deserve, and just assign value to different groups of people. And that is Just that is an obstacle to progress. So Mm -hmm. um, I hope that the kids who had me in class are in the world, you know, spreading that energy Mm -hmm. because we really need it.
0: Yeah. Could you talk a bit about, I mean, it's one of the things I sort of, my mom's a public school teacher. Um, so I I sort of you know, grew up, all, a lot of her friends are teachers. And, you mm-hmm. know, obviously um, you watch, there's like Abbott Elementary's on TV that sort of satirizes the, the, t- the school workplace and stuff like that. But it, it seems like Congress must be a totally different level of like, I mean, you're there with, on the one hand, people like you and like Rosa and Jim Himes, who are just like great backgrounds very dedicated to their communities but then you're also there with people like marjorie taylor green who are i mean i don't really uh i'm not really afraid to use the word like just like crazy um, so it seems like that's sort of i mean it is like the setup of a of like a sitcom or something like that to throw you know someone with jim Himes's background someone with your background and then like yeah. someone with like lauren Boebert's background into the same place what's that like and and how do you stay above some of that noise that's you know every day seems to consume washington
2: Well, I think it's a cautionary tale because all of the people that you just mentioned Mm -hmm. were duly elected by their constituents. Mm -hmm. So it really speaks to an erosion of norms in our electoral and our political process. There should be a level of accountability. Um, Even though I was elected and I'm the representative for the fifth congressional district, this is so much bigger than me. I would Mm -hmm. never conduct myself on the floor of the United States Congress the way I see some of my colleagues. I just wouldn't do it. But if I did, I would expect for my constituents to hold me accountable for that behavior. So there Mm -hmm. really has to be a level of accountability where you are going to Congress to get work done on behalf of your constituents. And um, I think we just have to demand that. And the way we do that is by making sure that people are engaged in the voting process. And a lot of these districts turnout is so low that we have these extreme ideas, these extreme people who are obstacles to progress Mm -hmm. getting elected. Um, And that is just a dangerous thing to imagine going forward. I I think that I'm happy that, and that's why I'm sitting here with you today and Mm -hmm. really just trying to reach out in every different community to remind people that elections have consequences and, you know, I tell people that there are 435 members of Congress, but there's mm-hmm. 300 million Americans. So the, the American people are always the majority and people have to really speak up loudly and make it clear that this, is, this behavior is unacceptable and that's not what we want representing us in Congress. It's dangerous.
1: We'll return to Mike's chat with Johanna Hayes in just a minute, but first let's hear from Paul Honig candidate for the 8th Senate District. You bike around your district a lot, don't you?
3: I do. I do. I, um, I found uh, riding my bicycle, um, you know, one, it's way faster than walking, and, uh, you know, it's it's less uh, wear and tear on the body than walking, and uh, it's also um, you know, very disarming for people rather than, pulling up in a car and in their driving in their driveway.
1: What what conversations are you having? And of course, this is in the context of of door knocking. Um your district uh spans some towns that are, you know, suburban, densely populated, I guess, but others that aren't, right? So you've got a lot of ground to cover as you get around the eighth district. When you get to people's doors, what are what's top of mind for people? What are you finding people are asking you about, regardless of you know what message you want to get out there? What are they asking you to know more?
3: Um no, I've, I've heard, you know, ton, tons of different things, uh, you know, concerns from people in the district, uh, top of mind for most people, uh, is probably affordability. So many people, you know, particularly less affluent people, um, are having a, a tough time, particularly now with the, uh, the inflation that we've experienced, uh, this last year, um, so I'd say that's top of mind, but there are lots of other topics that uh, come up on on the doors as well. Many you know women I speak to bring up reproductive rights as a big issue for them. They're just um, angry at Roe versus Wade getting overturned. you know it's a, it's it's a a big issue for them to you know make sure that you know a woman has the right to choose in Connecticut and and it stays that way. You know other people. Um, talk about gun safety. Um, they're concerned about uh, their kids in school being safe. So I hear, I hear a lot of that as well. And then, you know, there's a, a myriad of, of other topics as well that I uh, that I come across.
1: Sure. Let's come back to the of some of the affordability questions. I think it, it's particularly cute for the seniors, senior population, and we hear that. Uh, A lot. What are what are some of the things you tell folks, uh, older folks who who want to stay in Connecticut, want to stay in in the towns of of the 8th District? What do you what do you tell them?
3: Well, I I talk to them about the work that has been done in recent years to make more retirement income exempt from Connecticut income taxes, particularly Social Security income and um, and pensions. And, um, and that I support trying to expand that. Um, I, I also hear from a lot of um, seniors about uh, health care costs, uh, particularly around prescription drugs. Um, I've had several people tell me that they struggle to pay for their prescription medications, and I think that's just a really terrible place to be And um, The state has uh, passed in recent years a of a landmark transparency law which requires uh insurance companies and drug makers to provide the state with um, lots of information about the price of prescription drugs and when the price exceeds the price increase exceeds some threshold Mm -hmm. uh year over year but you know shame does not seem to be a big motivator these days so um i would um be very interested in looking into putting some teeth into that loss. Several um, other states have created these things called prescription drug affordability boards, um, which look at the drug pricing information, and they have the authority to cap the prices of drugs when uh, those drugs are not priced fairly or not priced affordably. So, I'd be very interested in uh, in looking at that type of legislation.
1: This is also a place where definitely the, the intersection of federal and state law comes into play, right? I mean, the federal government uh, under the Inflation Reduction Act just capped out-of-pocket Medicare costs at $2,000 a year. That can still be a lot, though. That can still be a lot yeah, for, for a lot of families. You, you mentioned, of course, gun safety legislation in there as well, and that's a, 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 a priority of yours. So what, what exactly can Connecticut do better?
3: I think that you know, Connecticut has you know, some of the best gun safety laws in the nation. Um, We have universal background checks. We have permitting and training. We have red flag laws. um, And uh, we have safe storage laws. And we have bans on ghost guns and assault weapons. And I think all those things are common sense, Um, you know, legislation. And I'd like to see the rest of the country catch up to us. Um, when people talk to me about them being worried about their kids being uh, safe in schools, there are really two building blocks to, I think, keeping uh, our schools safer. And one is our common sense gun safety legislation, which I think is really good. And uh, the second building block is uh, threat assessment and management. And I think in Connecticut, we're, we're lacking Uh, or lagging behind several other states in uh, threat assessment and management. In um, several states, uh, like Virginia, Texas, New Jersey, schools are required to have multidisciplinary teams, which include um, law enforcement, administrators, teachers, mental health professionals, to try to identify students who might become a problem in the future and intervene uh, very early. We don't have that in Connecticut. We have some uh, laws around uh, bullying, which obviously is a big, um, you know, part of, you know, what leads to um, some of these horrific uh, tragedies, Um, but it's not sufficient. And I think we can can do better by um, providing uh, toolkits for uh, our schools to, create these threat assessment and management teams and by um, providing resources to help train the teams um, so we can do a better job there.
1: Uh, let's switch gears to, uh, to to environmental concerns. Many candidates will talk about their concern for the environment and what they would like to do in terms of law. You walk the walk. Uh, talk a little bit about your personal commitment to uh, uh, environmental Uh, sustainability, and how that may inform the way you approach, uh, you know, passing laws to do with climate change and uh, carbon emissions and everything else.
3: I read this uh, article in the New York Times, I think it was around 2009, about this uh, German building design standard called the passive house. And uh, the article basically said, with, you know, smart design, thinking about Kind of the the, the the full lifespan of the house, extra insulation, airtightness. Um, these houses require ten to twenty percent of the energy to heat and cool than a standard code-built house, and that seemed to me like, oh my God, what a, an amazing idea! Like you can like save like so much um, energy um, just by being smart with how you build the house. When my uh, wife and I were, you know, we're living in this condo complex in Torrington, we decided we needed kind of a a bigger house for a growing family. Um, We thought, well, let's, let's try to build one of these um, passive houses. And we found uh, at the time there was one passive house consultant in the state of Connecticut, and he uh, happened to have a build design firm, uh, design build firm in uh, Avon. And we, uh, uh, hooked up with uh, him at Wolfworks and went on the journey to you know, to build this house. And the, the result of our you know, going through this process is that uh, we now have a, a net zero house. So the uh, solar panels on our roof produce all the energy that our house needs to heat and cool uh, provide hot water, run all the appliances. Uh, so, you know, that that's a, a huge deal, um, a, a huge financial win for us um, because the amount that we had to invest, you know, far outweighs what we're saving uh, or the amount we're saving far outweighs what the amount we invested. Um, and then on top of that, we're doing something good for the in- environment because our, our house has a zero carbon footprint over the course of the year. Um, and I think that, there are a lot of environmental issues that would have a similar payback that if you're, if you're smart about the design of what you're trying to do and you think about the long term, you can be in a situation where you make an investment up front in something and you get paid back in multiple ways uh, by saving money, by creating jobs, uh, by doing something good for the environment.
1: Voting rights are definitely in the headlines, especially since the uh, you know, 2020 election. And you know, in Connecticut, we do have the uh, vote yes for early voting amendment question on the ballot. I wanna urge everybody to vote yes on that. But um, that's not, of course, the only electoral reform uh, one could make. This, this is another place where you've been sort of active um, in your community and statewide on voting reforms, um, specifically around the National Popular Vote Compact to ensure that the popular vote winner wins the Electoral College without amending the Constitution. And uh, also, you, you have an interest in ranked choice voting, which I've heard a little bit about in the last year or two and am very personally intrigued by.
3: Um, you know, the, the National Popular Vote Interstate Pop- Compact, I think you, you know, explained it perfectly right there. It's, it's um, a way to use the Electoral College to make sure that the, uh, the winner of the election is the one who wins the national popular vote. I, I had kind of heard about this effort like a really long time ago, probably back in like 2006 or 2007. I thought, wow, what a great idea. Like you don't have to amend the constitution and you can get the, uh, the popular vote to elect the president. You know, for, for me, the, the reason to do this is because when you live in a uh, state that is not a swing state like we do, Neither presidential candidate actually cares if you vote because they know the outcome of the uh, election in Connecticut is is too too kind of lopsided to change with uh, with any campaigning. You know, for me, like I I want the presidential candidates to care if if I vote, I want them to try to convince me by taking positions on issues that are important to me in Connecticut um, that. that I vote. Um, so I, I discovered a group that was uh, pushing for, you know, signing onto this compact uh, in Connecticut and uh, in, in 2017, and I got involved with them, and that led me to go down to the uh, leg- legislative office building and speak to legislators, to testify at public hearings, to reach out to constituents of legislature, legislators, to you know, contact their legislator and, and get them to support this legislation. And it was um, really a, a great process for me uh, to really see how our state government works.
1: I was going to say, is this your on-ramp? Is this your, uh, is this sort of your on-ramp to uh, electoral politics here and at the state level?
3: It totally is my on-ramp. And, and when the legislation, you know, ultimately passed in 2018, it was a very rewarding feeling, and I and I saw that if you want your state government to move in a particular direction, you can make it happen by getting involved, and um, that it kind of inspired me to run for state rep in District Seventy Six in two thousand eighteen, and uh, I ran again in two thousand twenty, and now I'm running for uh, state senate in District Eight, and. That same core group of people um, in 2019, we we decided, hey, you know, let's you know take on another voting rights um, issue, and we decided on ranked choice voting, mm-hmm. which um, to me is it, it makes a lot of sense. Like our current system, where you only get to w- vote for one candidate, is great when you only have two candidates in the race, but when you have more than two candidates, you can have two two issues that kind of give you kind of a bad taste about an election potentially one is when you have a spoiler candidate who gets a a small part of the vote you know they can swing the election from one of the top two candidates or the other Uh, and then the the second way is that you know if you have like seven or eight candidates in a race someone can win with 18 percent of the vote
1: right Um, that's the thing it's that it's that race for a plurality in a large field you know so yeah. some examples, just for listeners, the recent New York City mayoral race uh, was decided with, with, pop, with uh, ranked choice voting, rather. And, you know, we saw we, day by day, week by week, they sort of, you know, whoever's the lowest uh, polling individual in that round is eliminated. Then mm-hmm. one looks at those ballots that were cast for that person, Like right? Okay, who'd they pick second? And then their votes go to that person. Now you recount, someone else winds up at the bottom. Rinse, wash, repeat until you get down to the last three candidates. You eliminate the third, then you look among the the remaining two candidates. It, you know what it is? It's electoral survivor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's it, it. And it's it it's is. uh can't be compacted into a one hour program with commercials and a uh, tense campfire. That it can't happen. However, mm-hmm. for nerds who follow elections, the edge of your yeah. seat.
3: Yeah, no, and and. You know, to me, it makes a lot of sense, and uh, I'd love to uh, try to bring that to Connecticut.
1: Um, we are now, as we record this, we're what, 21 days from the election? Uh, and we're in the home stretch. this is it. What are you uh, trying to get across to voters? What's a closing message from Paul Honick for, for CT Senate 8th District? I,
3: I guess my my closing message is that I'm in this race because I want to make things better for the people of the 8th District and the people of Connecticut. Um, I think uh, my professional background, uh, which is in finance, would be very useful in the General Assembly. And I'm going to work as hard as I can uh, as state senator, you know, kind of the same way that I've been working throughout this campaign. I've I've knocked on so far 6,200 doors, um, I'm out there listening to people, finding out what's on their mind. Um, it's important to me to know what the people of the district think about uh, different issues, and I'll I'll take that same uh, work ethic and I'll take all the stories that I've heard from people in the district with me into the state the state senate, and and that's going to inform how uh, I do my job as a state senator. Mm-hmm.
1: We now return to Mike's talk with U.S. Representative Johanna Hayes.
0: I don't want to take this in a negative direction, but you are in a very competitive race. And you mentioned obstacles to progress. So I do want to mention your opponent a bit. Um, for those who haven't uh, seen all the TV ads and read the news, you're in one of the most competitive, or what's viewed as one of the most competitive. And I wonder if maybe you agree with that assessment or not. But what's viewed as one of the most competitive races in Connecticut and in the country, it's attracted national attention from both Republicans and then from our party responding to it. So talk about your race your opponent, if you want to, and sort of why do you think national Republicans are so interested in seeing you not go back to Washington next year?
2: (laughs) Well, the answer to that is super easy because of the level of effectiveness that I've demonstrated. But this race will always be competitive because even if I didn't have a challenger, I'd be competing with myself because I'm Mm -hmm. always trying to be better than I was the last time. I'm always trying to, to do more. Kevin McCarthy has dumped millions of dollars into this race, and it's not because he's betting on a wild card. Right, he right. he he's confident that he wants to get someone elected who will fall in line with his agenda and the things that that he has proposed. And those that is a barrier to progress. Um, we had we made so much headway with the infrastructure bill with. Um, the American rescue plan, which every one of these negative ads is about Democrat spending, but there's no solutions. I don't know what right. my opponent would have proposed in any of these incidents, instances, what would you have told the mayors and first selectmen, the first responders, the hospitals, the school superintendents, from all 41 towns in this district, when they were reaching out, asking for help, if you're mm-hmm. the small businesses, if you're saying you wouldn't have voted for the American rescue plan, what, What would you have said to them? And now with we just passed legislation to lower the cost of prescription drugs, to address climate mitigation strategies, and they want to roll back the clock on all of these things. They have Kevin McCarthy has rolled out his commitment to America, which promises to do things like cut Social Security and Mm so-called entitlements to um, really put women's reproductive health on the chopping block. Mm-hmm. And my opponent has enthusiastically supported those measures. So this idea of I'm a moderate who's independent minded. <laughs> yeah. All people have to do is look at our voting records. People right. know what I'm going to do because they know what I've already done. I voted on record for all of these things. He also has a voting record. He voted 100 percent of the time in the state Senate um, with Republicans. I don't know why anyone would think that would be different in Congress. 2020, 100 percent of the time. Um mm-hmm. He's touting a NaREL rating from 2017, which um, is most likely based on a a questionnaire. I've actually (laughs) taken votes on this issue. Mm -hmm. So I say to people, check the record and make sure that you know where people stand, not by what's coming out of their mouth, but by how they voted. So this is a competitive race, and it is something that people should pay attention to because the consequences um, of the outcome of this race Is really has a significant impact on the future, not only in our state, but of our country. You know, people are trying to whitewash what happened on January 6th. Mm -hmm. If we don't put leaders in office who are committed to upholding our norms and legislating on behalf of people uh, over politics, over corporate interests, over all of these things that had not been, that literally took up all of you know all of the impact all of the agency mm-hmm. we just have to do things differently
0: yeah and i think i think listeners should be aware when we talk about your opponent and you know being beholden to corporate interests you know that's not just rhetoric he, his prior occupation was a lobbyist you know and 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 you know after that sort of you know quasi lobbyist in the legislature um, your prior occupation was was as a public educator. So I just, I like to point that out to people. Um, one more question before we let you go here. Uh, you mentioned NARAL, you mentioned the right to choice. Uh, those that live around the New Britain area this week may have noticed some traffic uh, on Tuesday or Wednesday because someone very important was in town to come see you and to talk with you about an important issue. Tell folks uh, why they may have been stuck on some I-91 traffic around New Britain.
2: Well, I will, before I tell them why they were stuck in traffic, I'll remind them that we brought $5 billion in infrastructure to ease some. Some of the traffic. In of course, our of course. But Vice President Harris was here because this is an issue that she is just deeply committed to and passionate about. And I want to make sure the people in the state of Connecticut know that um, even though the Republicans are trying to present this idea that Connecticut is all set, we don't have to worry about women's reproductive mm-hmm. health. If there is a national ban, Connecticut is not all set. We have issues here in Connecticut. But also, one of the things that stood out stood out for me when we were in New Britain, we pulled up, and there were all of these people holding signs about how they were pro-life, and you know, abortion was murder. There were news cameras that did interviews with these people who were making those comments, but also holding signs for my opponent. So Thanks. his supporters don't even believe that he's going to go <laughs> that he would go to Congress right. and right. defend a woman's right to choose. My position has been unequivocal. It is between a woman and her doctor. Full stop. Full stop. All of these but this and if this and they have to do this it is not up to me as a legislator to decide the choices that you know a person makes with their with their healthcare professional. And that is what I voted for. In Congress we voted for the Women's Reproductive Health Act which simply says that a woman should choose up to the point of viability. And after that, with the good faith judgment of a medical professional. And that's where we have to stay. We have to hold the line on that. We mm-hmm. have to remind people that even though all of these other things are going on, we have issues with the economy. We have issues you know, with the housing market and all of these things that we are trying to address, but we cannot put women's reproductive health on the, on the shelf to go back to it later. Because while the economy is cyclical, while all of these things ebb and flow, once women's choice is eviscerated, it is gone forever. Mm -hmm. It is gone forever. This has been a 50-year strategy to overturn Roe, and it finally happened. So what needs to happen now is not a patchwork of state laws or um, regulations. We need a national law that says, in this country, a woman has the right to have autonomy over her reproductive health. And I think people also need to be reminded that in that decision, in the Dobbs decision, it wasn't just about abortion. Mm-hmm. That decision opened the door to contraceptive, access to contraceptives, to um, same-sex marriage and LD- LGBTQI plus equality, to interracial marriage, to all of these things. So this decision really has the potential to turn back 50 years of progress.
0: Mm-hmm it's just horrifying to think about. And I think it's just another reason why people have to get engaged. If they're not already engaged, if they are engaged, be engaged more. And on mm-hmm. that note, I just want to give you the opportunity for our listeners who might want to help out your campaign, tell the folks where they can go to volunteer, uh, where you need the help in these last uh, mm-hmm. few, three, four weeks. I've lost track of time as well <laughs> before the election.
2: So at johannahayes.com, we have links to To get involved. And the thing is, I need everybody's help. So whatever you can do, whether it's one hour, whether it's 40 hours, whether it's one time, whether it's recurring, whatever people can do, I need their I need your help right now. Everything is on the line and this election is consequential. Our biggest, biggest, all of our energy has to be on voter turnout right now. Mm -hmm. We have a message to tell we've communicated the message we've delivered for the people in this district. And now it's all about turnout. So I need everyone to commit to not only voting, but bringing five friends to vote, making sure your family's registered, making sure that everybody has all the information that they need on November 8th in order to vote. If they can't vote that they have requested an absentee ballot Mm -hmm. and not become complacent or think that, it's all set because it's not elections have consequences and we will be dealing with the consequences of an election if people don't show up and vote
0: so on that note we want to say thank you congresswoman hayes for joining us on the connecticut democrats podcast We want to say best of luck i know i'll probably see you this weekend campaigning a bit so thank you so much and best of luck
2: thank you but listen i don't need people just to vote for me it doesn't matter if i'm in washington if i don't have strong democrats at the state Mm -hmm. level and our secretary of state, our treasurer, our governor, our lieutenant governor, everything. We have just an embarrassment of riches on the Democratic ticket. So people really have to turn out on November 8 and vote row A.
0: So, Dave, there you have it from Congresswoman Hayes. Uh, just a really wide ranging conversation. It struck me during it that for every issue we talked about, whether it was the you know, the horrible tragedy that happened in Bristol or some of the issues she's been working on down in Washington. You know, Congresswoman Hayes, all these issues are personal to her, coming from a law enforcement family, being a teacher, you know, having been a single mom, you know, she she really understands these issues in a way that I think is unique among certainly a lot of the elected officials that you see in the national media. Um, She's not coming at this from a hypothetical standpoint. She lives these experiences day in and day out and knows what it's like uh to, to be really you know trying to make it out there so i just thought that that colors her experience so well and um you know it's, it's just a, a big part of what drives her as a representative
1: and you get that sense when you talk to johanna you know you you've talked to her there over zoom but i'm talking about in person i've certainly been to more than one event uh some small some large sometimes watching her on uh national television and sometimes watching her on the floor of the house that comes through each and every time love johanna
0: well, I thought you had a great conversation with Paul as well, um, and it just, it just underscores, you know, we have really great candidates running all over the state. Um, I've always thought, I was watching uh, one of the debates last night between Bob Duff and his opponent, and it just struck me that, like, you know, I, th- I think Mitch McConnell said something about how candidate quality for Republicans this year is really poor. That was evident in that debate, but I'm seeing just the opposite, talking to our candidates around the state. We're fielding great candidates in almost all the races that are competitive this year.
1: Absolutely. And if you would like to get out and help in these last 20 days, okay, we're talking about three weeks here. Keep Connecticut blue. You can do so at mobilize.us slash Dems. Hundreds and hundreds of ways you can help out. Come pitch in.
0: Well, there you have it, folks. Check out that link and check us out next week for the next episode of Connecticut the CT Democrats podcast. Thanks for joining us.